Here we go. Season 7. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more. There is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we're calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the new covenant is not time-bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. It is Wednesday, January 8th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 284. So busy I didn't even in, prepare an intro. My name is Caleb Hegg. Sipping from a YeshuaShirts.com mug. Listening to Season 7 intro music and happy that that Barry Sachs is still part of it. I'm Rob Banoff. There you go. Uh, did everyone's video cut out? No. I don't think so. Okay. Hey, uh, welcome to everyone in the chat room. We'd like to um, actually our uh, associate producers and executive producers from the fall quarter are still displayed on the screen. However, we will make that change by next week. If you would like to become an associate producer or an executive producer of the show, you can do so. Go to torresource.com, hover over media, go down to Messiah Matters and a pop out will come out and it'll say executive producer. Oh, you should do it. You should do it, maybe. Um, there's, uh, <laughs> we just started the winter quarter. And so, beautiful mug. Beautiful McDonald's mug. It's a, it's a McDonald's ripoff, MM. Uh, very nice. For very the, nice. It's a very nice for the winter quarter of, of 2020. Um, yeah. So, uh, but you can also, if you don't want to spend a hundred dollars for the quarter and become a associate producer, you can also just become a supporter of the show. You can do that by going to torresource.com, click on donate. And then for as little as $5 a month, you can support this show. And that's a month, $5 a month. Uh, and you get access to Messiah matters more, something that we need to update today. Hopefully. All right. Well, Hey, uh, it is, we're in, we're more than a week in. To 2020, and uh, you know, uh, America's uh, still at war for the past 20 years. Um, now with Iran, uh, an earthquake happened, 
And uh, now, of course, all of the people are coming out saying that we are uh, that the that we're in the end days, and the uh, the Messiah's return is imminent. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Could be. We we could use his help. <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. Uh, no that's, doubt. That's kind of flippant, but yeah. I mean, may it be so. Um. Yeah, I'm ready for the Messiah to come anytime. Come back anytime. We are ready. Um. Okay. Be part of this conversation. And what I mean, and we're going to talk about what I mean by that in just a few seconds. Uh, oops, wrong one. I'm sorry. Okay. Let's uh, hang on. I apologize. Let's bring this one up first. Comment line is 253-465-3205. You won't talk to us. You get a message machine and leave a message and tell us all about what you think. Um, you can also send us an email, uh, chegg, that's C-H-E-G-G, at TorahResource.com. And uh, yes, and this uh, show, Messiah Matters, is ultimately produced by Torah Resource. Go to Torah Resource for all sorts of wonderful resources, free and paid resources, depending on what you're looking for. Um, there's everything that you could, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> last week we had an interesting week. Uh, we talked about this YouTube channel that did a, a video on the, the number 666. Now, um, in the very beginning of that, first of all, let's, let's respond to this. Somebody said, uh, we had two people say, did you check with them first? In other words, did you contact them before you talked about them? And the answer is no. If you're going to, it is my policy and my understanding that if you're going to put something out publicly, especially to 109,000 subscribers, and, uh, and make it public and try to teach something that you are expecting and inviting uh, scrutiny and, uh, you know, investigation into what you're saying, especially, especially, uh, not limited to, but especially if you say in the beginning, make sure to check this and see, uh, see for yourself if it's valid or not. Um, so yeah. the idea that, that we didn't do, you know, didn't follow the steps of Matthew and, and I mean, come on, that's for community. I'm not in community with these people. These, these people are a, you now granted, I understand that, that, uh, all believers are one body, but the point is, is that if a person, a teacher, a, or just a random person is going to get on YouTube in front of 109,000 subscribers and make false claims, it is very okay for anyone to stand up and say, that's wrong. Publicly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I would expect no less from someone who disagrees with us. You know, they don't have to contact us first. Right. And I, people I do all the time. We, I mean, somebody, I saw somebody uh, had posted a page that had like nine audio lectures on how we were wrong about the deity of the Messiah. <laughs> it's like, bring it on. Yeah, you don't hear me crying about it. I wonder Come how on. much, are, are, they, are they selling that? I wonder how much money they're making. <laughs> They're not selling it. It's for free. for free. But the so, but the answer yeah. is no. And we the reason that we stopped uh, naming people outright on most of our shows, which this show started by trying to show, um, you know, we had a lot of questions from people that we knew, friends that we knew that asked us, um, what about this teaching? What about this teaching? What about this teaching? This show originally started as tr trying to give videos to uh, show if we agreed or disagreed with certain teachings. And... After three seasons, four seasons, I think four seasons of this show, yeah, 200 episodes, 
we changed the format of it and said, you know what, we're not going to name names anymore and, and call out people. We'll call out doctrine. Well, there are exceptions to that. And if somebody's going to get up and, and make uh, just ridiculous claims about something, then I think it's only right to come out and say um, no. The other email that we got, we got several of these. Because at the beginning of that video I said of last week's show, I said, uh, the, the, the person who runs this YouTube channel is, you know, and I named several things. They believe in more than a 66 book canon. Um, I, I'm not sure if that specific person denies the DD, but I, I don't know. Um, but they're flat earth. And I said, you know, so right there, just run. We got a bunch of people. And I do mean, I mean, it was a handful of people, not just like two or three. It was a handful of people that said, well, you talk about flat earth. Do an in-depth discussion on your show about Flat Earth. And um, I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is no. We, will no. Not, we, won't, we won't do that. And the reason why is because that is not a religious issue. It's not a matter of faith. <clears throat> That'd be like saying, hey, will you guys talk about um, you know, the validity of Sasquatch sightings on your show? Can you guys do an in-depth discussion <clears throat> about quail migration? I don't know. I think some people think it's a totally religious issue because they think that they're they're going to say that the take the John Walton view or something that oh the ancient Israelites believed the world was flat and had a dome above it. Yeah, and and and, 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 and that and if you don't believe that then you're you can't be a true Bible believer unless you adopt what the ancient people viewed as the Right. cosmological like structure. And my response to that is, if you believe that, it means that you haven't ever taken a course in hermeneutics. That's not the way that the Bible works. Take a course in hermeneutics. Yeah, I don't need I don't think that we need to discuss uh things that have nothing to do with faith on this show. And I think that that's one of them. I'm not going to talk about, you know, whether or not uh orange juice is a good stock to buy this year because of the, you know, because the stock market looks good. And I'm not going to talk about flat Earth. It is nonsense. And it, it, honestly, it's a. I, and besides, I've been to the edge and looked over. It ain't. It ain't pretty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's scary. I and look, we because of people like what Rob is talking about. We we at Torah Resource asked a uh, a brother in the Lord, a good brother in the Lord, who uh, who runs. Uh, well, he did uh, our creative, our created solar system, and that whole series. Uh, Spike Vasaris. We asked him to write something on flat Earth so that we could post it for people to, to reference. The fact of the matter is that we have a article. I'm almost embarrassed to say this. We have an article on Torah Resource on uh, the the fallacies of flat Earth. Is that we even have to do that is ridiculous. I mean, the fact... Yeah, like, you, well, 20 years ago, you probably, if someone said, you'd say that's never going to happen. We would never be in a situation that that would merit, like, even a bit of attention. Look, if a person reads that article on their cell phone, <laughs> the fact that they have a cell phone proves that the Earth is round. I mean, come on. Anyway, the idea of an of a in-depth show on Flat Earth, I'm sorry if you, want to, uh, if you want to study that kind of thing, which I don't know why anyone would, but if you want to study that kind of thing, there's plenty of evidence uh, that, uh, that proves that the, that the world is, sure. is... Well, and it's what's great, back to our talking about Torah Resource Institute having our new 
winter quarter. There's been quarters where I've had live online classes. I've had someone from Israel and someone from Australia. Right. Or even Japan, for that matter, on the same call. Right. And they're in completely different time zones. And those in Japan and Australia are always the day ahead. It's always like the next morning, you know, if it's an evening. And, and it. Joseph yeah. says in the chat room, and this is a good one, he says, Sasquatch saw me, no one believed him. <laughs> uh, no doubt. Anyway, uh, so I, I hate to bust everyone's bubble on the idea that we would do a show on Flat Earth. No, we won't do a show on Flat Earth. It's a waste of people's time. And if you got people who, look, I know people who are, are flat earthers and okay, whatever. I mean, that's up to you, but it, it's has nothing to do with my faith or my belief. And, and if you want to believe conspiracy theory, uh, great. Uh, you know, I know, I know a lot of people who ascribe to a lot of different conspiracy theory that just happens to be the most ridiculous one. Um, okay. Okay. We did. We got a good email from Andre. Oh yeah. Just saying, hey, it came across that that maybe the earliest manuscripts were spelled out 666, and I didn't go and actually look at the actual timestamp. But um, to be clear, there are there are early manuscripts. Early manuscripts that have it have the 666 written in the three letters. Right. And actually, um, we should say this. And one, we did talk about that, but I think there was just some... One of the manuscripts, it was loosey-goosey. That I, one of the manuscripts that I uh, neglected to mention was Ephraimi. And we've talked about that manuscript on this on this show before. We, that is an early manuscript. So I, I there is a, a significant chance that I misread when it said M in my father's paper. I misread that as a specific manuscript. It, it might have, it, it most likely meant majority. Mm. But even then, Andre's point in that email was great, which was the only people who would, who would take this and try to run with it are people who are trying to tickle ears. So the point is, is that there are multiple manuscript witnesses on multiple different accounts. And to try to take one and say that this is certainly the one. And I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that our, our show st- st- speaks for itself. But I appreciate the fact that we have listeners who are not only smarter than I am, uh, but much better uh, uh, studiers and scholars than I will ever be. And, uh, and so they keep us on our toes and uh, keep us honest. And, sure. Yeah. And, and, and the one, one last point that that reminded for me was Irenaeus, who is a second century writer, gets into detail about what is the significance of the number. And he's not, uh, it's definitely a number. He's not trying to make, pronounce it right. or you know, make it make a sound or be a word or anything like that. So, um, back to last week's video that we were interacting with. Yeah, that, that was complete foolishness on that, uh, those quote teachers part or teacher. Um, and it showed it, it just, they, they betrayed or they displayed their own ignorance. Um, yeah. and, and it's unfortunate. Yeah. Here's the other thing that happened last week. Um, <laughs> okay, I got to be really careful because first of all, I love our chat room and the people who are in our chat room on a regular basis actually have become part of this show. They add a lot to this show. We look at the comments. I look at the comments. Often. I don't. 
I had to. I had to. He, he cut had to that turn them off. But I try to look at the comments on a regular basis, and if there's something that I think is, you know, that we've missed, or if there's something that, um, you know, I think is a really good comment or whatever, I will bring that into the show, and we'll we'll try to make the people in the chat room become part of the show, become part of the show. Now, I want that to be what um, what I don't like and what I don't allow is when people try to run the show from the chat room. Now, this will happen every once in a while. We'll get somebody new in the chat room who will say something like, you know, I have a question. It'll be totally off topic. I have a question. And they'll ramble off this question. And then, why aren't you talking about my question? What, are you going to respond to my question? And I don't even, I'm, you know, I don't even pay time of day because I try to keep people on topic. Um, another thing that'll happen is somebody will say, read this or you guys should um, go to this website. No, we have a set order of the way that we do things on this show. It's usually set um, by both Rob and I throughout the week. And then we come on and we have a shot, basically a, a shot list of what we're talking about. Um, last week, somebody said, you know, we were talking about, I think we were talking about the deity of the Messiah and we were talking about uh, Trinitarian doctrine. And this person said, go read Isaiah 7, 1 through 10 in the Hebrew. Well, I'm not going to, no, you're not going to run, Rob, Rob and I, it's, we're the ones who are, are uh, running the show the way that we run it. We're not going to let someone new in the chat room come and try to take over the show for us from the chat room. And so we didn't do that. They got upset about it, whatever. Um, so somebody emailed me during the week and said, I think the reason that the person, I think I know who the person was in the chat room. And I think the reason that the person wanted you to read this is because the claim is, now I don't know, I don't want to put this on the person who was in the chat room because this might not have been where they were going with this. So we'll just take this other person and, and uh, what this other person said and, and discuss, okay? He said that he believes that the, well, the direction this person was attempting to go was that in Isaiah 7.10, the claim is, that God calls Isaiah Yodhevave. Now, what this is going to do for a person who uh, denies the deity of the Messiah is it's going to, they're going to try to, this is a, this is a setup. In other words, if God, uh, and I think that this goes to agency, divine agency, but if God is going to use an agent like a prophet, okay, and then he's going to, he's going to call that prophet Yodhevave, then he can use uh, an agent like Yeshua, and call him Yodhevave, like we see in like uh, you know Abraham talking to Yodhevave, or um, so on and so forth. Okay, different you know the angel of the Lord being called Yodhevave at certain times within within the Tanakh. If uh, if God can do that with a prophet, God can do it with Yeshua, and it doesn't make Yeshua Yodhevave. That's the line of thought that this person thought was going on in the chat room. So let's look at that and talk about that. Rob, I'm going to throw this to you. Well, my understanding is if if this is accurate, what you were describing, which is my only take or my only um, rationale for why the person wanted us to read Isaiah 7 is because it's, if you look at beginning of Isaiah 7, um, it's in the days of Ahaz, who, mm -hmm. king, um, of Judah, and um, the Lord sends Isaiah 
to go talk to him. And that's verse 3. It says, the Lord says to Isaiah, go meet um, Ahaz, Ahaz, um, etc. And basically gives him a prophecy for it. It says, thus saith Adonai Elohim, thus saith the Lord God, etc. Um, and in verse 10, it, it says, Vayosef Adonai, Daberel Ahaz Lemor. And again, or furthermore, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, and, and apparently, the idea is, oh, notice how it says the Lord is speaking to Ahaz directly, but it, it's obviously Isaiah who's speaking. Therefore, uh, Isaiah is um, being called yod I think that's the argument, and that's what I heard you uh, describe yeah, it as. It. And it, it's, it's so silly. It's so foolish. <laughs> there, are, there are many times where it'll say, and the Lord said, and sometimes, but not always, it's qualified. Biyad Yeshiyahu, Biyad Yermiyahu, by the hand of a right, prophet right. to a person. So just because the, it, the idiom is not always spelled out for us, you know, and this is Isaiah writing this. It, and um, that's the, and that is the point that I think is is uh, Isaiah clearly believes that the Lord is the one who is giving the message, right, right? And Isaiah is writing this all down, and he says, "And the Lord said to this person, I mean, I don't understand. Right. The, the, uh, foolishness is certainly the uh, the the word that that comes to mind in, in such an argument." Well, and to be to be. If the lady, I think it was a lady, asked about the Hebrew in 7 verse 10, the verb is daber. It's not diber. It's actually an infinitive, which can be taken as, a, as an imperative. And uh, furthermore, the Lord, speak to Ahaz, saying. In other words, it, it's not a perfect, if, since this person wanted us to read it in Hebrew, it's not a perfect PL. So if you're listening, it is an infinitive PL. And that changes the, the syntax and the, the, the range of, of meaning. So it's, there's a lot to it. And, but the simple claim that somehow Isaiah 710 calls Isaiah Yodhevave is really silliness and it's immature. Um, it's someone who's looking for something, you know, and then they, they think they have a place to, like they're trying to climb a rock wall and they think they have a place to, to step and then they slip and fall down. And that's what's, that's what's happening there. Right. Okay. Well, there you go. Let's keep going. Um, oh, wrong one. Sorry. I'm, I have two computers up here, so this is a. Interesting. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is a great comment. Now, basically what we're doing is we're looking at various emails that have come in through the past week, okay? So this one came in from Eleanor, and uh, she said, My husband and I are relatively new to the Hebrew Roots movement and have watched a lot of YouTube on the topic. So this could possibly be a, <laughs> a bad place to start, but okay. Um she goes on, much of what I see is confusing, and some of the leaders appear sarcastic 
and some even appear to be false prophets. Where do we start? Now, this is a this is a good question on two levels, but let's go with what she's going to ask first. We practice dietary restrictions and Shabbat. However, when I see the programs on Friday, there are a lot of rituals. Now, I think what she's saying in terms of programs, I think she's talking about programs that are uh, broadcasting maybe Arab Shabbat services, I think, maybe. Maybe this could also be a... I don't watch Shabbat Night Live by uh, by Michael Rood, but I don't know if he does any ritual on, on that show or not. But, I have no idea. Um, anyway. I have no interest in that. Yeah, but, exactly. She, so anyway, it sounds like there's an internet uh, community. Right. Okay. Uh, she says, we want something to read that will point us in the right direction. Now, he, I hear two different questions here, whether or not... Eleanor meant to, to uh, pose two questions. One would be, if we're coming into a understanding of maybe keeping the Sabbath, the kosher laws, and want to expand out into more of Torah, then the question would be, where theologically should we go? Where should we start and where should we go? In other words, how do we study these things um, without maybe being on YouTube all the time? Um, the other question I have that I hear here is, uh, we want to keep the Sabbath, but we don't know how. So, and we don't want to necessarily go with a bunch of rabbinics. So, where do we start? Um, both are very, very good questions, and uh, I think that uh, the answers that come need to be. <laughs> we need to be a little bit careful with um, how we respond, simply because it's it's we one of the things that uh, we don't want to do, and I'm not just talking about robbing me. Anyone who's in this situation when somebody comes to you and says, where do we start? Um, whether it's theologically or whether it's ritualistically, um, I think that as believers, we have an a, uh, obligation to try to steer people, obviously, in the right direction without giving, without putting them in a place that's going to be more damaging to them in terms of their faith. Um, so, right. so where do you, I mean, let's, let's start with theologically. I, I would I, I like that term theologically. I would say this: a be patient with yourself. God's not all of a sudden gonna like be upset if you don't instantaneously grasp something, you know. But b develop you have to develop your a personal theology of the Shabbat. It has to be it has to be your own conviction. It cannot be you trying to please what other people are telling you you need to do. And that's an important discernment. So how does how does one develop a theology of Shabbat? I would say start in the Gospels and read every time. You know, we're reading in our local community, we're reading through Luke right now. And this week we read the beginning of Luke 6 where his disciples are picking grain and rubbing it and popping it in on the Shabbat, you know. And, right. then, and then the people get upset. And then he goes in on Shabbat and he knows that the, the scribes are there watching him whether he's going to heal or not. And they want to they attack him. And he says he knows their thoughts and he sees a man with a withered hand and he calls him up and he says, what's it's lawful for Shabbat to do right. good, to heal or to, or to, you know, not do good. Right. And then he heals the guy. So, and then he says, the son of man is Lord of the Shabbat. Okay. So I would say, start there, go to those places and, and have the, the conversations about, um, the Shabbat from Yeshua, uh, from a Yeshua centric, uh, 
point, starting point, and, and you go right to the Gospels and, and then start to develop what is Shabbat. Obviously, in the first century, there was inner Jewish contention about what was what is how to observe Shabbat. So for today, for someone to say, I don't know how to keep Shabbat, that's okay. Right. That's okay that you don't know. It, you, 2,000 years ago, there were Jews that had the same question that you have today. And Yeshua comes on the scene, and he says, I'm Lord of the Shabbat. So that means that's your first uh, rock, that's your rock of theology of Shabbat, is that Yeshua is the Lord of the Sabbath. And then, and then give yourself grace and kindness to study it out and know that it's God's good pleasure to help you and edify you and build you up so that you would benefit from why he designed the Shabbat as something for humanity that is good for humans and gave it, as Yeshua says, he gave it to man as a gift. Let You want that to be the good soil and the, and the seed and the growth, not, not rabbinic expectations or what thing you see ritually going on on some YouTube channel. And see, and, and to me, uh, there's, you went to a place right in the middle, which was the theology of Shabbat. Um, what I'm talking, and that's great. I, and I have to, I instantaneously echo that when, when we, when we look for our, what we call halakha or the way that we practice the Shabbat or eating, uh, you know, our diet or whatever it may be, whatever our lifestyle is going to look like, the very first place we go is, is the scriptures. Start in Genesis, go through Deuteronomy, go through to the ends of the Tanakh, the the Old Testament, go through the Apostolic Scriptures, the New Testament, read the Bible. That's where your practice should come from. And everything else uh, around, I mean, there. I mean, you're going to have to uh, find things, uh, some of your tradition somewhere. And this is one of the reasons that finding a community is so important, because they'll be able to help you. Um, wade through these things. But at the same time, I think that theologically, one of the things that happens when we, when, um, when a lot of people come to Torah is they say, oh, I should be keeping the Sabbath. I should be eating uh, a different diet. Therefore, my theology needs to change completely. And I don't think that. I think that when, I think that uh, theologically, evangelical, the evangelical movement and, um, I mean, we have we have a foundation that is a solid foundation. Sixty six books, Deity of the Messiah. I mean, you, you go down these these lists. We're adding to, we're adding to the tradition of the church, or I shouldn't say that we're re, we're putting back in to the tradition of the church what was there and what, what was taken out. So, for instance, if you're part of a Presbyterian church, and all of a sudden you say oh, we should be keeping the the Shabbat, most Presbyterian churches are Sabbatarians. They just keep the Sabbath on Sunday. And so the point is, is that it's not a, oh my word, I need to shun everything. It's a, okay, one step at a time. Let's, let's do what we were doing on, on Sunday. Let's put it on Saturday and let's work from there. So it's not like a, I need to find all new teachers and all these kind of things. And maybe we do. Maybe, maybe that is where the Lord will lead you is to find good teachers. And of course, I have to say the, the place that I would always go is if I'm going to look at something um, in a theological nature, in terms of from a Torah perspective, the first place I'm going to go is Torah Resource, of course. I mean, I work for the company. I know the vast amount of resources, so that's where I would go. But ultimately, the Bible is the first place we go, right? We sure. always go to the Bible first. And and on that note, we 
concerning tradition, we know established in the Gospels and in Acts that the Law and the Prophets were read on the Shabbat, that that was an accepted right. good custom. Is it, is it sin if you don't? No. But it's a, it's a good tradition, and it's upheld, obviously, in the Gospels and in, in, in Acts. And that is a helpful uh, initial right. rhythm to get used to. And that, back to the resources available at TorahResource.com, we have both annual and three-year cycles with, you can read, download for free, Commentary. comments yeah. on every Torah portion. There's hundreds of devotional uh, treatments of every Torah portion, both in the annual and I think in the, the three-year cycle, that are years and years and years and years in the making, and there's such a rich treasure just there for you to uh, start to uh, adopt a rhythm where your, your weekly cycle of meditation on Scripture is tied to a type of liturgical year. And again, it's not legally obligatory or anything like that, but it is good. It promotes community. It promotes um, repetition. God wants us to be in his word. And it's, it's anchored clearly as a good custom from the first century that Yeshua and the apostles participated in. And so there again, you know, is... is jo Joseph actually <clears throat> in the chat room says, <clears throat> pardon me, he says, have you guys ever uh, done a show on quick responses to why Torah, uh, one Torah for all? In other words, why Gentiles should keep the, the Torah as well? I know your father has done articles, not just the Sabbath. Um, I imagine you guys have experienced counter arguments. How do you unpack? Um, I don't think we've ever done a specific show like that. Maybe that's a good show to do. But the one thing that we have done, or the one thing that we do have at Torah Resource is, and uh, for, for not Torah Resource is, but Torah Resource is, um, and let me stop. Uh, for anyone who's new to the movement, um, I would highly recommend going to TorahResource.com and looking at It Is Often Said. It's a four-book series. <clears throat> they're each about, hang on just a second. They're little booklets. Yeah, they're, they're, they're very user-friendly. and Right, and they kind of unpack some of the, uh, the series is called is, It Is Often Said because it was questions that my father was getting like it is often said 2,000 years of church history can't be wrong. It is often said that uh, Yeshua abolished the Sabbath. It is often said that, you know, so these kind of questions. And um, the nice thing about these is if you're new to the movement, they unpack some of the, the theology of the apostolic scriptures, the New Testament, um, mm -hmm. that you're going to hear people come up against. And then also, if you already are, are uh, uh, Torah observant, then you can take these books. They're real easy to give to other people. You know, they're about 60 pages each. The font's a little bit larger than normal. So, it's, I mean, they're not hard. They're real easy to read. Um, and then there's also another, uh, another series called 10 Persistent Questions. And that goes a little bit deeper. It's uh, It unpacks some of the more... Um, in-depth verses like Matthew uh, 7 and things like that. So, um, yeah, there is there is resources out there for theology in terms of practice. I think that every person has to kind of find what works for them within their community as well. And I mean that not just for if you found the perfect Torah community and you like the way that they are doing things. I mean that in terms of if you're under the spiritual authority of someone in a church and 
you come to the belief that the Sabbath should be kept on Saturday and you're going to start doing that, you need to figure out how that's going to work within the community that you're currently in um, until you find a, a community that's better for you or just to work it out so that you're able to do all of those things in the current community that you're in. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay, let's go back to the emails. Jonathan writes, this is a great email. Um, and one that I, I'm sure this will bring controversy and a lot of people will, will uh, you know, rabble, rabble, rabble about this. But okay, here he goes. He says, Jonathan says, I appreciate your... And I actually contacted Jonathan and asked him if I could read his email uh, because it's a little bit longer. And he said, absolutely. I appreciate your most recent Messiah Matters and bringing out the teaching by Parable of the Vineyard. Steve Berkson teaches something similar in that he believes the anti-Messiah will be one who comes as Jesus until the true Yeshua arrives on the scene to overthrow him. We've talked about that video before. Um, it's nonsense. Uh, anyway, he says, I am sorry to say that in my early Torah-believing walk, I wrote an article called Your Jesus is Not My Yeshua. Thankfully, it never went very far, but I wish whatever copies are out there could be burned. This uh, reminds me of the, of the cage stage, the so-called cage stage for Calvinists, right? Um, it's the Torah movement cage stage. Uh, you come to the idea that the Sabbath should be kept or that, uh, you know, you should be keeping a kosher diet or whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, everyone out there who's not doing it, you know, you got to tell everyone and you got to you're going to convince the uh, the entire church. That's that, when you need to be put in a cage. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. Calm down. Calm yourself. Uh, you know, <laughs> just take a couple of deep breaths. Anyway, he goes on. As I was reading in Mark this week, I ran across an interesting passage. And I'm wondering if you think it applies to this kind of teaching. In Mark 3, 20 through 30, by the way, I'm going to stop real quick. We have talked about this verse before. It's a very difficult verse. And there's a lot of discussion about what this could mean. Uh, many Messianics have uh, basically said that uh, unforgivable sin. Uh, if, you, you know, if you've done thus, thus, and thus, then you can't come back to the Lord. Uh, we can talk about that, but I don't... Anyway... Uh, he says in Mark 3, 20 through 30, Yeshua is accused of casting out demons by Beelzebul. Yeshua's final response was this, and he quotes, and we'll read it. Truly, I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Uh, we're going to go on with Jonathan's email. He says, The scribes believe that Yeshua derived his authority from an evil spirit and thus blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. It seems to me that parable of the vineyard and those that teach similar things are coming close to, if not crossing that line. I'll be the first to admit that some in the church have lost Yeshua's Jewish ethnicity, culture, and upbringing. And by the way, I'm going to stop again real quick. This is one thing we got. I, I got a lot of comments from people saying, I can't believe that you think that Jesus is the same as Yeshua. They're two totally different people. No, they're not two totally different people. They're the same. One is just a name in a different language. By the way, I looked up this this week, I looked up um, how to say Jesus in uh, Korean. Now, one thing I don't hear all these people going on and on about is how the people in Korea are serving a different God. Is it just because it's English? 
It's it's such a, a, a ridiculous argument. The fact of the matter is, yes, people might be wrong about who Yeshua is. That's not Yeshua's fault, and it's not the, the there's, fault. But there's people who say Yeshua who have a wrong picture of him. Oh, absolutely. Completely, so, so, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. It's and, not a, your picture of Yeshua doesn't have to do with how you pronounce his name. Um, yeah, and, and those just are be, independent. Just things. because somebody says Jesus, you know, and lives south of the border doesn't make them a heretic because they're saying Jesus. It's their language, just like Jesus is a language. It's a, a name it's a name and a language. So the idea that this is a different I mean, it's just uh anyway. Okay, let's go the very last uh line of his his uh email here he says uh they have misunderstood the nature and purpose of the Torah. But though uh, but through the work in the name of Jesus the king of Elohim the king of Elohim has advanced and people's lives have been changed. Now, for uneducated and ignorant teachers to come along and attribute that work to the enemy is abhorrent. Yeah, I agree with that. I I agree that it's abhorrent. I'm not going to I don't think that I would go as far as to say that um, it's the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit that Yeshua is talking about in Mark three twenty eight through thirty. Um, I I completely agree with Jonathan that I I do think it's abhorrent. I think that I think that Yeshua. <clears throat> I mean, does he sit in the heavens and laugh, or does he sit in the heavens and cry? And I think that there's a little bit of both. Because I think that the that the the. The children of God that have bought into this kind of thing, I think that it is there is a great sadness for the fact that they're losing sight of the gospel, and uh, for uh, those who don't believe, you know, their hearts aren't true. He sits in the heavens and he laughs. Um, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is, I don't know what else to add about that. Well, uh, hang on just a sec. We got a great comment from our friend David. David Wilbur's in the chat room. Good to see you, Dave. Um, he says, I think some people just want to feel superior to their Christian friends. That's where this whole Jesus is pagan nonsense ultimately comes from. And yeah, and actually, I've tried to st stop using um, language like left the church. When I left the church, I didn't leave the church. The ecclesia of God, the, the community of God, is his chosen people. And so the idea that, that uh, I have left the church, now I understand what is implied by that, that we've given up on certain beliefs and or customs that might not, that we feel have not aligned with the scriptures. But the idea of leaving the church means like leaving the ecclesia, that means leaving the people of God. If we are truly brothers and sisters in the Lord, then the superiority complex of those who have come to a understanding that they should keep the Sabbath or the food laws or whatever it may be, that's pride. And the Bible speaks very forcefully about pride. And I, I mean, I don't agree with uh, Timothy Keller on everything, but boy, his sermons on pride have really just hit to the core for me. Um, and I, I think that he's got something going there. Anything else on that before we move on? No. Nope. Do you want to try to expound for us what you think Mark 3, 28 through 30 means? Well, I, I take that to be 
that sins can be forgiven. All sins are forgiven with repentance. But repentance is the work of the Holy Spirit in the individual. Mm. And a person who who is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, that means they, they're, they're rejecting they are rejecting forgiveness. They are rejecting repentance. That that's the way I understand it. Um, I I know that my father has um, has weighed in on this before. It means that they know they know it's sin, and they they it's the sin of the high hand is the way I see it. It's the same thing. It's blatant sin, full knowledge of sin, uh, and and. And there's, there's, there can be no forgiveness because forgiveness only comes with repentance because it's part of God's character is, is grace and kindness. He loves truth. And, and so, and he says, what's the full of the, of, of the teaching of the, uh, substitutionary sacrifice is all about forgiveness of sins. It's a, that God loves repentance. It says in the, Yeshua says that uh, when one sinner repents, like it talks about the angels in heaven rejoicing. At, at why? Why, are, why do the angels rejoice when someone repents? It's because God is glorified to be shown who he is, loving and forgiving and full of grace and truth. But the person who's blaspheming against the, the Holy Spirit, that's a person that is dug in with knowledge of, of who God is and, and basically spitting in God's face and not asking for forgiveness. They don't want forgiveness. That's, that's, the, that's why it's eternal. It's, it's, a, it's a scary, sobering um, reality for some, so, uh, sadly. But, um, they, but, but they don't want it. That's, right. that's the thing they right. don't want. And why Yeshua talks in John 3, because they love darkness rather than light. They actually love evil. Yeah. And that's that's harsh. It's harsh to imagine because those who have a new heart in, in the new covenant, we're like, we're all in. We just want to love God. We want to worship God. We want to be with God. We want to think about God. We want to read his word. We want to be with other believers. We want to worship and sing songs and you know and then when we're when we have something that doesn't belong we want someone to either correct us gently or we want god to show us or we want to reconcile when we can right that's the that's the fruit of the spirit but what's described in mark 329 is a person who is clinging to darkness and to evil because that's their god that's what they love you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I haven't been able to work out fully, and I, I really like and appreciate what you said there, and I'll, I'll have to ponder that. Um, I haven't personally been able to work out what I, what I uh, believe Mark 320, uh, is it 320 or is it, I think it's 328. Yeah, 328 through 30 uh, is actually talking about. My father has, has written that he believes that that was only for that time. In other words, the people who are physically there with Yeshua, seeing the works, seeing what he's doing, hearing him speak, and, re- and, attrib- and attributing it to, to, a, to a false, yeah, yeah to, yeah, to a I, demon. I, is, I, I can appreciate that view. 
Uh, and and uh, but I like what you're saying as well. I think that the idea and somebody uh, said, you know, what about someone who uh, really wants the Holy Spirit? Will God will God withhold the Holy Spirit to someone who truly wants it? So if you really want the Holy Spirit, that's the work of the Holy Spirit already. Right. You already have that's, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. That, that That's like David, you know, take not your Holy Spirit from me, or, you know, against you only I've sinned. Um, where, where does that come from? That's not a—those that, are sparks of life from a, of a repentant, regenerated heart. And what does Luke say? Luke says if, if a child asks his father for a present, will, will his father give him a serpent? Right, exactly. Well, give him a rock. Exactly. How much more will your father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? Exactly. That, exactly right. The point is here is the people are, yeah, it's it's a, it's a scary situation. Okay. But it must be real. It must be true for some because Yeshua wouldn't talk about it. Whether it's people only in his lifetime, like in his own, in his ministry time, or if it extends beyond, right. it's still a, a terrifying prospect for those people um no wow. doubt okay we got one more email here and actually evelyn asked a great question evelyn uh send it to me she asked about uh first john 1 9 uh what's the difference between forgiven of sin and cleansed from unrighteousness maybe we'll talk about that next week that's a great question good question yeah wow i love it yeah send that to me though so that i don't forget what it is <laughs> that uh, tends to happen. And uh, if anyone else has great questions that they'd like to ask, see Hegg at TorahResource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. Okay, the last thing that we have for today is going to be this comment from Jenny. Jenny writes and she says, First uh, John, and so we're going to First John as well. First uh, John 5, 6, I am wondering if you see any links between the water and the blood and the sacrifices or sanctuary. Do you see it as a typical interpretation of baptism and the cross? Uh, thanks for weighing in. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with my... Go ahead, Rob. Um, tell me what you think. Now, Rob and I saw this, and then we talked the other day about this, and um, we looked at my dad's commentary, because I don't know if people know this or not. My father has a commentary on the Johannine epistles, so First, uh, Second, and Third John. If you don't have it, it's a beautiful book, and it's uh, as everything that my father has published in written form, uh, it is uh, it is top notch. Whether you agree with him or not, he looks at all the sources. You know, he <clears throat> looks at various sources. He gives you all the different arguments that they're, that uh, the top scholars have given for what it may be in a, in a passage. Then he weighs in and tells you what he believes. Um, so it, it, even if you are going to disagree with my father on something, uh, I would highly recommend this commentary. It's very in-depth and it's very well done. And it's a beautiful book. Um, so with that said, we looked at this. My father takes the view that this is baptism and that it is the cross. Which is basically what the person asked in the email, right? Right. So the, yeah. the baptism of Yeshua is of the Holy... So um, let's look at this passage real quick. I'm sorry. We sure. Yeah, and the key that Tim Haig zeroes in on is the repetition of martyreo, of, of the verb to testify, to bear witness throughout is, that passage. Right. Now, and so the, so the water is like the testimony with respect to baptism in the Jordan River under John the Baptist which is marked in the Gospels as a significant, right? And then the other is shedding of the blood, which he prophesied even on the, the, that Pesach meal, right? This is the blood shed for you for the, for the new covenant. Um, 
according to Jeremiah 31, and then he actually, you know, died and, and shed his blood, and that that is the second. So, so that baptism and the cross, I think, is a clear Let's read this real quick, though. Connotation. Let's, yeah, let's, let's read this real quick, though. Um, it says, First uh, John 5, 6, it says, This is he who came by water and blood, Yeshua the Messiah, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. So my, my, uh, dad's, comment, my dad's commentary, uh, he takes the view that the, wa- the Spirit testifying comes during the baptism, and this is the, the water, because the, the dove comes down on Yeshua, right? The Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a, a dove um, at his baptism. And so this is, he's, he's seeing this as the water, the reference to water here. The blood is a reference to his cross and how he cleanses um, and the work that he was to do on the cross. Now, you had a, an interesting take that, uh, and maybe you kind of already stated it, but your take is different. What is your take? Well, well my, my initial thought that I, I do agree with the water and the blood as baptism and, and the cross, but that's I don't go there first. I kind of arrive there second. My first thought is just basically incarnation, that it's affirming Yeshua as fully human. Like he's not just um, an image or a, what do they call it? A ghostly kind of um, entity that kind of seems, and that's the docetism kind of approach in, in maybe the Gnostic world, the idea that Yeshua wasn't actually flesh and blood. And we know that there is a context for that. In John's gospel, the word became flesh, of course, but also in First John, you know, we've handled the word of life. We've touched it. We've seen him. We've spoken with him. Our hands have handled um, the word of life. And the importance of incarnation. Right. Human. And so I see water and blood also having to do with incarnation, being born of a woman. And and so it's and then and then having flesh and blood, having real human life. Yeah, Philippians, Philippians too, right? Uh, yeah. Giving up, giving up his his uh, his position to come in the form of of a man. Yeah, and so the baptism and the cross are nestled for me inside this the this idea of of the incarnation, right? And that that somehow these are all that's seems to be the point John is wanting to make. Um, but of course, especially when he brings in the, the spirit and the testimony of the spirit, um, clearly echoes the, um, the, uh, baptism in the Jordan and, um, and then the cross, you know, the cross is, uh, and then the resurrection of course is God's declaration that he that this is his son, the vindication. That's like that reminds me of Romans one, where it says right. he has he has declared him his son by the resurrection of the dead. So um, uh, it's a great question. We, it's it's thick, thick theological. Um, it's almost that there's a poetry here. You know, there's there's a poetic aspect to that passage in John. Jesus in the chat room makes uh, asks a great question, and there's been a little bit of discussion because of this question, and I want to. Uh, look at this question real quick. He says, is baptism of water done once or is it done often? This is a great question. 
And I think that there needs to, and actually, um, who was it who said it? Christina, I think. She says, mikvah and baptism are different in my opinion. Um, and I agree with that. I think that there is a difference between a mikvah and a baptism. The reason I think this is because when John goes out, <clears throat> he goes out of Jerusalem, down to the Jordan. And I think that what he's trying to actually represent is Israel coming back over the Jordan. Remember when Jordan, when Israel comes into the land, they cross the Jordan, right? And they come into the land. And now they're going to come in, they're going to possess the land, and they're, and they're supposed to live for God, unto God, in, in the, uh, according to the, to the Torah. John goes back out to the Jordan as a representation of, you got it wrong, you did it wrong the first time. We're going to start new. This is going to be fresh. The baptism is like death and then coming to life, right? And then we see in John 3 that, that Yeshua even speaks of this. Unless you're born from above, you cannot, be, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, when he went out, they knew what he was doing and they knew that he was baptizing for the repentance of sins. And for some reason they understood it. Now they don't seem to talk about how everyone, we don't know how everyone understood this. In fact, the first mention that we have of like a baptism, a once for all conversion process, uh, conversion process. I'm putting quotes around that for anybody listening, uh, without video, um, is actually in the Gospels. Now, I know that this could be argued that there is a conversion mikvah into the Qumran sect. However, it doesn't speak of it like that. The Qumran sect did mikvahs, ritualistic uh, purity washings every single day. They did them multiple times a day. So yes, there might have been something special about the first time that a person was allowed to come in to the waters of the of the people that were at Qumran, but it wasn't I, I don't there's no evidence that it was seen as something like this is the ritual baptism that is going to bring you into our fold. It's just now you can be in the same water as us. Whereas John does something special. He says come out and be baptized for the for the repentance of sin. And they understood it. Within the within Acts and within the Gospels, we see people being baptized. They are they receive faith, they believe, and they then give their lives. In other words, it's it's a declaration of I am giving my life to Christ. I'm giving my life to this person. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm now a slave to this person. And that's what I think baptism is. Whereas a mikvah is different. A mikvah is a ritualistic bath to cleanse and Yes, it's symbolic in many ways, but it's a cleansing bath, which is done multiple times. So I think mikvahs were to be done multiple times, whereas I think a baptism is once is once to give your life for to that person. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that, Rob? Yeah, I think baptism is a is you know on one one level people would say oh it reflects a change of status. Sure. Um, you know, the, but. But like, you know, Romans, is it Romans 6, you know, where Paul explains what is baptism into Christ? What is baptism into his death? And then you come out of the waters like resurrection. And this is a, this is a, a one-time um, event. It's not to be repeated over and over and over again as if somehow you have to re-identify with Messiah. You're either in Messiah or you're not, but you don't go in and out of Messiah. Um, now, that doesn't mean that there are 
times in your life as a disciple of Yeshua where you're going to be corrected, right? You're going to be get a little spanking on the rear maybe from the Lord and stuff like that, and, and you're going to be pruned. Um, and there's going to be times where you're going to have to say you're sorry and, and you know, you're going to have repentance still in your life. But that is all fruit of your new resurrection life growing and, and developing. Your inner man is, is growing and developing. It's not a new... And, and you might at that time come back with a, with a, a fresh um, kind of hold or, or a renewed sense of, uh, of identity with Yeshua, but that's, that's not ever going to be the same as your initial transition from darkness into light of the kingdom. Somebody says we need a full discussion on baptism. I think that that's absolutely right. We could do yeah. that. Somebody wants to know what's a good age. Like, is there an age for baptism? Um, what does it mean that uh, we were baptized into Moses? These are all great questions. Maybe maybe we'll do this next week. I, I will just say this, and, and maybe I'll save this for next week as well, but I personally have been baptized twice, and I know people always say, oh, one baptism, you know, one Lord, one baptism. I agree that the, I, I know what verse is being referenced. I think that is actually a reference to you only give your your life to you only give your allegiance to one person. In other words, yeah, that one, one baptism there doesn't mean only. <laughs> yeah, that's not what that means. I was baptized I, when I, I was like five years old, and then I was baptized again when I was like eighteen, nineteen years old. And I'll talk about that next, maybe next week on on why I chose to do that and why I thought it was uh, uh, necessary to uh, to do that. Um, anyway, sprinkle or dunk, laugh out loud, right on. Yeah. Okay, it's been a good discussion. Sounds I hope... like donuts. <laughs> Ooh, yum, Sprinkle yes. donuts and dunked in coffee. Mm, donuts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, uh, it's been fun. I hope that this has cleared up some things for some people, and I hope that uh, send us emails if you have ideas for what you want us to talk about, Whether if you have questions about baptism, and also if you said something in the chat room that you want to be addressed that we didn't address, send it to us because a lot of the times I'm looking at the chat room, I will forget by the time the show is done and I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of things, I'll forget what was said or what was referenced or whatever. So if you're in the chat room, you want something talked about, please send an email, chag at torresource.com. It is chag at torresource.com. You can also call our comment line and leave a comment, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Five. All right. Thank you so much, everyone in the chat room. I really do appreciate the people in the chat room. It is so great to have you there and to see the conversations that are going on. And what you say actually helps me to um, actually bring my thoughts together and try to pose new questions to Rob and things like that. Um, I, I don't know if people know this, but Rob is actually one of my teachers um, at Torah Resource Institute. And so I'm. this show is a not only us having a conversation, but it's a teacher-student relationship here. So it's great to be able to have someone with such knowledge be able to spout the knowledge to all of us. And uh, your questions really help from the, from the chat room. So thank you so much. We hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior. Why? Well, because Messiah matters. <laughs>